0: Friends, if you'd open your Bible with me today, I think the best chapter would probably be a familiar chapter. In fact, if I told you to turn to the love chapter, you'd know where I was talking about most of you. You'd say, well, Pastor Allen's talking about First Corinthians chapter 13. So if you, that's where my notes are stuck today. So you if you want to put your thumb there, we're going to get there before too long. That's a good place to start this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. And you would be thinking to yourself, I didn't know it was we're going to talk about marriage today or weddings, because it seems that's the only time that wonderful chapter of Scripture is read in our churches is when two people stand before God and commit their lives to one another the love chapter, but not so quick. We'll get there in a bit and see that that is not the primary application of that chapter at all. We're in a brief series of messages as we talk about Jesus commandments to us. Jesus loved us and gave us direction for our lives. Part of being his follower, his disciple, a person who learns from him, who has trusted, put our faith in him he calls us his friends, co-heirs with Christ, is that we want to follow his direction for our lives, our commandments. As we have taken as our theme verse, John chapter 15, verse 14, Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I command. Now, each week we've talked about that and said it's not petty as it sounds. Well, I'll let you be my friend if you do what I say. No. It's not like that at all. Jesus is describing who his friends are. This is a descriptive phrase. Those who follow my commands are my friends. That's how you tell them from other people. In fact, I want to put it in context this morning. Read beginning in John chapter 15, verse 12. Jesus says, My command, and this is the command primarily spoken of in our theme verse, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, when we hear command, we think of difficult things, carved in stone, hard to live your life, taking away your fun. But Jesus' command is, Simply to love each other. As we talked last week, the great commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second Jesus says is just like it love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus gave us the new command. It focused on the family of God, where he says, Love each other as I have loved you. Love one another. And that's not onerous, sometimes it's a challenge. But it's such a blessing. And it enriches and makes your life better if this is descriptive of you. You can tell who Jesus' friends are because of the way they love and take care of one another. Well, that puts the whole series of messages and the commandments of Jesus into context. As we began a number of weeks ago, well, we know when we began because we talked about communion, Jesus' command, do this. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We talked about his command of baptism, his commandment to serve, his command to love God with all your heart. And now to turn that love outward and to love those around us, your neighbors and those in the family of God. Do this. Love one another. As Jesus loved us. Well, we want to touch on that briefly before we share together at the end of our service at the communion table. And I encourage you taking it in at home to have your elements on standby close at hand because without uh, our our leaders coming to the front to pass out the elements, communion seems to go by so quickly in this format. We don't seem to have just enough time that, that we would like to have and I trust we'll have in the future. Well, let's look at this love, this love commandment that Jesus gives. Now, remember last week uh, we had that wonderful quote of C.S. Lewis, which explained what biblical love is. It's not the sentimental, beautiful, emotional love that we share together as uh, young couples, as parents. Not even the familial love that you have for your best friends, uh, that Philadelphia, that brotherly love. This is more described by that Greek term agape. Agape which is that wonderful, selfless, sacrificial love of God. The focus is on the other. And as C.S. Lewis reminded us, biblical love is the commitment to the well-being of others. Putting others before yourself. That way we can command love. Jesus commanded you to love. Not to have a feeling, just to gin up those feelings of love, try to feel loving for somebody. It's hard to do. You can't do it. It has to come naturally. It's like commanding somebody to sneeze, really sneeze. Eh, it's kind of difficult. It's not like that. When God commands us to love, He commands us to act lovingly, selflessly, to put others first. And the beautiful thing, the way God builds you, is that if you act in a loving manner towards somebody, those caring, loving feelings, those follow along. I've had more than one occasion in couples counseling, not Faye and I going to a counselor, but people coming to me, just wanted to make that clear, but couples counseling where people were just not feeling it anymore. We just don't feel the love anymore. I said, that's common. That comes and goes throughout a person's life. But what you need to commit to, because love is a commitment, is to act lovingly toward your spouse. To put them first. To show deference to them as they in turn put you first. And if you do that, no matter how far it lags behind those feelings, sometimes it's like a rubber band, it stretches and stretches, but one day you wake up and those feelings have snapped back and caught up. You not only act lovingly, but you are loving toward that person from the heart. God has built us that way. Well, the love that putting others first love that scripture talks about that we're to share with one another. It's important for a number of reasons. The first point I want to make very briefly is that our love for one another, our love identifies us. It's who we are. It's how we stand out. It shows the world who we are. Remember, Jesus said that should be your identifying mark. In John chapter 13, beginning in verse 34, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. Remember, it's not a noun, it's a verb. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples If you love one another and friends, unfortunately, it's not always been the case, but especially in the early days of Christianity, as that little group of Galilean Jews turned the world upside down, their love for one another was an identifying mark, not just for one another, but for their neighbors and those in need. As Jesus answered the question, who is my neighbor with the story of the good Samaritan? Anyone who crosses your path in need is your neighbor and you need to be loving toward them. Jesus said by this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. And that's not just an observation. There's a theological, a spiritual underpinning to that. As John, who not only the gospel of John focuses on love, as we were just in John 13, but his letters later in life to the churches, again, that's his primary theme. The love of God given to us in Jesus and that love shared with others. John writes in first John chapter four. He says, this is how our dear friends let us. Let me see which verses I'm at. Slow down here, Alan. First John four, seven and eight. That's where I'm going to turn. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You see, it's not just something we are commanded to do. It's who we actually are in Jesus. That love is part of God's nature. And as his spirit indwells us, that loving spirit, we work out our salvation in this world in acts of love. And people see that and they see God's love in action. That love changes people. It gets their attention. Not to go too deep into the weeds of church history. The Roman Empire persecuted Christians. Christians continued to love. Eventually, the empire allowed Christians not only to be tolerated, but the very Caesars became Christians, at least in name. The first, of course, was Constantine the Great, though in that family the real faith was in his mother, Queen Mother Helena. They turned their hearts to Jesus. But it didn't last. Within a couple decades one of the descendants, a nephew of Constantine the Great, the first Christian emperor, he had rejected Christianity. At 20, he went off to college and began to study the classical philosophers. His name was Julian. And he developed his own neo-pagan religion based on the teaching of Plato and others. It was more Greek philosophy than uh, worship of the Roman gods. But He said, we have to get rid of this Christianity. It's like a cancer in the empire and turn back to good old paganism. So he tried to turn back the clock. As an emperor, he came to the throne in a roundabout way and he was known to history as Julian the Apostate, proudly. In fact, he turned it around. He referred to Christianity as atheism because it rejected his Roman gods. He persecuted Christians and tried to get rid of Christianity from the empire, but he couldn't do it. His biggest obstacle, he wrote about it numerous times, was that these Christians, he called them Galileans, these Galileans, this riffraff, were just so darn loving. They not only took care of each other and loved each other far more than we pagans did, but they even loved us. Their charities were open to anyone and it drove him crazy. I have a quote from Julian the Apostate. He said, atheism, that's us he's talking about, atheism has been specially advanced through loving service rendered to strangers. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar. And that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. Julian once characterized the love of Christians and how it drew the pagans to them to experience Jesus' love. He says it was like children running to get cake. They just lured them and tricked them and it just drove him crazy. Christian love. He should know that's who we are. It's not a strategy, it's not a trick. It's who we are, it's who Jesus was. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Poor Julian. Lived probably three years as emperor died in battle possibly stabbed in the back by one of his own men go figure secondly our love the love we're commanded to have for one another it is a motivating factor in our lives it is the fuel in our tanks imagine you have a brand new sports car if it's one of those low... I'm amazed at Chevrolet Corvettes. You know, They've changed since I was a kid. They are low and wide and they look like European supercars. They look fast sitting still. And if there is no fuel in the tank, no simple gasoline, they may look fast, but they're not fast at all. They don't have the power to move. That all comes from the fuel. And friends, in your life, the power to Impact your community and your family and your friends and neighbors with God's love. It's Jesus' love in us. The the, the Bible says it's the love of Christ that compels us. It drives us. It's the fuel in our tanks. The fuel that powers us. Romans chapter 13 and Galatians chapter 5 talk about a godly way of life that's epitomized by the Old Testament laws. That the Jews, they tried to follow it, but in their flesh they couldn't obey the law. So they made rules around them to keep them from stumbling until Jesus told them it's not about the letter of the law on the page at all. It's about your heart being right toward God. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans and Galatians, those powerful books of Christian theology, says that it's, The love of Jesus shown to your neighbor and your fellow man that fulfills God's law completely. Romans 13, chapter uh, verse 8 to 10 puts it this way. Paul says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder. Do not steal. Do not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. If you have love in your tank, if that's what's driving you, putting others first and working and committing yourself to their well-being as a mother or father in a family, for their children as a caring neighbor as a good friend somebody who puts others first does no wrong toward them they don't need to worry about following the rules because their heart literally is in the right place paul writes to the galatians and and puts it very similar in galatians chapter 5 verses 13 and 14 he says you my brothers are called to be free." Now, Paul was always accused by his Jewish legalistic opponents that he was antinomian. That literally means against the law, that he was a lawbreaker. He broke the Sabbath like Jesus. He broke all these laws. But Paul says, I'm not against the law. I'm about fulfilling the law. When he says freedom, they say, oh, he's going to talk about breaking the law. But no. He goes on. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be that neighbor. Be that friend. Be that person in others' lives. To put them first. And experience the love of Jesus. Well, about a hundred years after Julian the apostate tried and failed to get rid of Christianity, in North Africa, in the town of Hippo, believe it or not, which, which means horse, but, but it's, it's funnier as Hippo. In the town of Hippo, we had a great saint, a doctor of the church, an early writer of Christian theology who put the teaching of the Bible and applied it to daily life. His name was Augustine or Augustine. Both pronunciations are correct and augustine or augustine of hippo he said something very powerful he said love god and do whatever you please now that should get your attention that sounds antinomian love god and do whatever you please for the soul trained in love to god will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved he's saying friends if you truly love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself, you fulfill the law. You put a smile on God's face. You're walking in Jesus' steps. And sure, his word will continue to be precious to you. But you don't have to spell out a rule for every situation because your love, the love of Jesus, which is driving you, will steer you in the right direction. Because it's our love for one another is that motivating factor for us. When God's people get off track and we become selfish and look to our interests rather than others, that's when we fuss and fight and churches split, denominations split and form anew. All of our trouble comes when we get away from this simple principle, the motivating love of Jesus. Another point about our love is that it's not just something we talk about like a pastor on their hind legs on Sunday morning. Our love is concrete. Our love is real and it's active. It's something we do. It's a verb, not a noun. It's something that is put into action, into loving actions in our community. That's why if you're going to serve in the church, I've always said you need to be serving in our community. If you're going to volunteer in the church with kids club or Sunday school or youth group, you need to be volunteering in our community. You need to be a volunteer at the school. You need to be a volunteer at St. Mary's. You need to be working at the arboretum, at the food bank. There's so many areas to show love by serving others. The museum, the library. You say, well, pastor, we put the church first. Well, of course. Do good to all men, beginning with the family of God, but do good with all men. Be a servant. Show the love of Jesus because our love is active and real. Well, here's the government. Pandemic. Putting fences around churches. Trying to stop Christianity. Oh, no, they stopped church activity in a building because of health dictates. But that's not Christianity. In fact, years ago, a teacher that I sat under named Dan Spader, he founded a youth movement called Sun Life. He always differentiated between Christianity, following Jesus in the world, and churchianity. He says a lot of what goes under the name of Christianity is really churchianity. It's about church, doing the church stuff, with very little impact for God in this world. You know, churchianity has gotten a lot harder during the pandemic, but Christianity, showing the love of Jesus in practical ways, pandemic is ripe for that. There are so many people that you can help if you have your eyes open to those opportunities. We need to be meeting needs in a loving manner, acting out and living out the love of Jesus. I love how how James puts it, James chapter two he says. And this is in the context of having faith and showing your faith by loving deeds. James says as an example, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about it, his physical needs, what? good is it i'm afraid sometimes if i'm honest about my life i look at it and i see a lot of activity but sometimes i could write across it what good is it if i don't actually have a loving impact in the life of somebody else if you're not actually meeting needs this pointed to physical needs but the pandemic look at that man on the bench he may be well fed but he might be dying on the inside. He's isolated. He's alone. We've seen a skyrocket of, uh, of uh, abuse at home. Violence, domestic violence, drug abuse, suicide have all gone off the scale because of the pandemic. There are so many needs that God's people need to get serious about meeting in a time like this. John, leave it to John, The man of love, he writes in his first letter, 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. This is love, he says. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Now, He's not talking about dying on a cross. He's talking about putting your brothers and sisters first. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Sometimes the simple work done by Volunteers at a food bank are far more Christian than many of megachurches' Sunday morning services. Those people are showing the love of Jesus. And if you've ever been around those type of charities, especially if they're not run out of a church, they can be pretty rough places. Not only the clients, but the volunteers. Gravelly voices, cigarette hanging from the corner of their mouth. But they've got love in their hearts. And I think that's what God sees in that time. William Barclay, when I was a kid, some of you remember those little paperback Barclay uh, commentaries in the New Testament. He was a Scottish theologian. Terrible theologian. Had awful theology. He was a universalist, an evolutionist. Didn't believe in the divinity of Jesus. Thought he was the, the peak of human evolution. But he wrote some pretty good little commentaries. William Barclay... He talked about this. This very thing. He said, More people have been brought into the church by the kindness of real Christian love than by all the theological arguments in the world. Truer words. Truer words. Preach the good news by your actions. By your actions. And all... Opportunities, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. It's God's love in action. Well, I mentioned First Corinthians thirteen, and we want to finish there as we look at the fact that our love for one another in the family of God, it both enriches us and it edifies others. As I mentioned, we often trot that passage out only at weddings. Recommittals of marriages. And I'm not saying it doesn't have application there because love is very important in that primary human relationship. But the context that it's written in, this chapter is about church life, body life. Not a good church. This chapter is written to a bad church, the Corinthian church. (laughs) When we turn to passages on the Lord's Supper, as we do in First Corinthians, we see how abusive that church was. They had rich people. they had poor people at the communion, the love feast, the poor people went hungry. The rich people got drunk. These people, they were so angry with one another, they took each other to court. They were suing one another. they were sinning against one another. And when it came to spiritual gifts. Oh, they all wanted to speak in tongues. They all wanted to prophesy because they were proud and wanted to lord it over one another. And the Apostle Paul, the chapter 12 preceding First Corinthians 13, is all about the abuse of spiritual gifts. And Paul begs them at the end of that chapter. He says, desire something greater, the greater gift from God to live your life by. And then he turns and explains that gift from God in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And now he says, I will show you a better way. Just go back. I have a final quote this morning. I love history. Jonathan Swift. Jonathan Swift is best known to you and I is that Irishman, though he claimed to be an Englishman, born in Dublin, lived his life in Ireland, But ethnically, he was from, he was an English family. And he wrote Gulliver's Travels, the Lilliputians, the Brobdenagians. All of that amazing, strange book was written as a political satire. He was an essayist, a satirist. He wrote an incredible book. I remember reading it, or it was a short pamphlet. I read it in Bible school, of all places, called A Modest Proposal he was talking about like the potato famine and Irish people being hungry and this is from a snooty uh, English perspective he said well the Irish they should cook and eat their children and he he wrote it with a straight face a horrible book a horrible pamphlet and it was really to to aim at the the hard-hearted English people well that's the kind of guy he was but you may not realize he was a churchman he was an Anglican pastor well that's a guy I'd like to listen to a Sunday sermon from he eventually became the dean of the Anglican Cathedral, St. Patrick's, in Dublin. Often he's referred to in England as Dean Swift. And Dean Swift, talking about his congregants, his people, and looking at the lives they live, he says, we have just enough religion to make us hate, but not enough to make us love one another. Oh, Irish and English... They all claim to be Christians, but boy, do they know how to hate. It says, God's love hasn't penetrated right to the heart. These are people who are suffering from churchianity, but haven't caught the real thing. A dose of Christianity, the love of Christ. This is the people Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13 2. It says you can go through all the motions. You can have all the religious trappings. But in God's sight, if the essential motivating quality of love is missing, if that's not what's motivating your good deeds, your religious works, they're useless. They're a car with no gas. They may look good, but you're going nowhere. Paul begins 1 Corinthians 13 Actually, it's unfortunate it landed in the wrong chapter. The last last verse of the previous chapter is where I'll begin. Verse 31 of 12, Paul says, And now I will show you the most excellent way. Not fighting over spiritual gifts, to lord it over one another. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul says, Without love, we have and gain nothing. No reward in heaven. Oh, people may think well of you because you look good outwardly here, but you're missing out. With love, though, you're enriched. This is what makes these wonderful deeds truly spiritually significant because they are done from the love of Christ. They're done for God and for others. And you fulfilled the law, the royal law to love your neighbor as yourself. If you act out, of love, you're meeting the needs of others. It's essential. We can't live without it. And then Paul goes on. He says, not only will your love then, if you act in love, then your spiritual gifts are truly effective and you will be blessed as you bless others and you will be enriched and rewarded by God. He says, but those who are the targets of your love They will be edified. That word edified, I used it on purpose because edify comes from the same word that gives us edifice. A building, a skyscraper, something beautiful. You have to build that edifice. And to edify means literally to build up one another. You love them, so you encourage them, and you teach them, and you forgive them, and you walk beside them. You help them. You build them up. That's what love does. And so, that passage we often talk about weddings. Well, that's true. Husbands and wives need to build each other up. But it's primarily written to you and I in the family of God to build each other up. And love is described what it is and what it isn't. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. He's talking about the Corinthian church here. And Lord willing, not not about us. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Literally, that means it never ends. Friend, this is a church I want to be part of. This love describes them. It's who they are. That's what we need to be about. That should be how people tell us apart from others. See, those people, boy, they love one another. But they'll take care of anyone. They'll show that same love to anyone who crosses Their path. It's all about building each other up. I finish with this. I have seen throughout the pandemic people rightfully chafing under government overreach. But be careful about using God's word incorrectly. We have pulled some verses so out of context that they bleed. And one of those is a wonderful passage that speaks of what we're speaking about this morning. It's from Hebrews Chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It's about edifying, building each other up, and encouraging one another. And we've used it about church liberty, and it's got some passing application, but that's not what it's about. The author of Hebrews writes, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Because those good deeds are acts of love. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It's the end of time comes into view. Get serious about loving one another. Now this gathering together, we apply it to Sunday morning. We apply it to churchianity visual. But this is Christianity. in fact, This gathering to build each other up and to show love, it's not even done very well here on Sunday morning. We bounce off each other like tennis balls in a cement mixer on Sunday morning. Just a passing, glancing blow. This is talking about gathering over a cup of coffee. Gathering the week after the funeral when everybody else has left. About gathering with somebody when they're at their lowest point and you're there to show the love of Jesus that's the gathering together that we cannot neglect this is best done in a home group in a bible study a small group a life group this is best done anywhere but in an institutional setting this is what we're about to love and to build each other up. Love one another, Jesus said. That's the new commandment. Last week, we looked at the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. And next week, we wrap the series up by looking at the hard commandment. Yeah, love your enemy. Those enemies. We'll be doing that next week. But now, friends, we're going to, at the end of this service, we're going to do something that The Lord said that we need to do, and as often as we do it, we'll do it in remembrance of Jesus. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, not only to God, apply our message to our hearts today, but to give thanks for what Jesus did for us on the cross as he gave his body freely to the cross and shed his blood for our forgiveness. We'll remember that. Now, the elements with these fellowship cups, just a reminder, you peel the cellophane first and you have the little wafer, which is a symbol of bread because physically it bears no resemblance to actual bread, but it reminds us of Jesus. And then we'll have the cup, the fruit of the vine, that is a symbol of His blood shed for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is so much easier to talk about love or even to say you love somebody than to actually do it. It can be so flippant and offhand. Okay, bye, love you. But do we? Do we put others before ourselves? Lord, I think of our lives. I think of my life so often. My motivation and my fuel is self centered when truly we should be Christ centered. And centered for others. To live our lives for them. To give them away. To give our lives away as Jesus did. Lord, help us to see Jesus clearly. And to follow Him every day. Open our eyes to the needs of those around us. That we can reach out and act in love. And truly be loving. And to show them Jesus in these practical ways. As your children do that, Lord, I know it puts a smile on your face. I thank you, Father, for this time that you bring us together at the beginning of every month to reflect on Jesus' great love for us. He is not only our Savior, but our friend. And greater love had this. that He laid down his life for his friends. We thank you for that. Now, Father, bless this time we share and these elements to our hearts as we remember Jesus and His love for us. We pray it all in His name. Amen. The Apostle Paul writes to that same fractious bunch of believers in Corinth correcting their abuses around the Lord's table. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Now if you peel back the cellophane, you can reach the, the bread beneath. I'm having a real hard time with mine. I'm hoping you guys are doing better. Okay. This is going to be forever on the internet. Nope, <laughs> oh boy, okay, it's, I think we're on the right track now here. It's, nope Thank you, Lance. <laughs> This is such a somber time, too. Okay. Friends, Jesus said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. In their normal practice, that cup was the cup of blessing, the great Hallel cup. And Jesus gave new meaning to that cup as he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's share it together. Amen. And here I was saying it goes quicker some Sundays, not as quick this morning. Friends, let's join our hearts together. Are there any closing songs? Okay. Let's be dismissed with prayer. Let's stretch our legs. Stand with me as we close in prayer. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, the majority of our church family are not with us physically, but Lord, the family of God is connected at the heart we share one spirit and lord we pray for our brothers and sisters who are home some not feeling well today others home lord just uh taking it in virtually father bless us wherever we're at today as we remember jesus love for us shown by his action by going to the cross to put us first to pay for our sin Lord, that is the great example of love as Jesus showed us the full extent of His love. This week, Lord, in big ways and small ways, may we live out His love in us in the lives of those around us. Lord, bless us to be a blessing. Touch this hurting world with Your love this week through us. This is our prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.